We all need a shot of encouragement to keep us going. A new beginning with Greg Laurie is sure to help in your journey of faith. Hear it twice daily. Details at vision.org.au. A biblical perspective on life, culture and current events. This is 2020 on Vision. And at this time on a Tuesday, we do like to check in with Greg Bondar from Christian Voice Australia. He's National Director, of course, Christian Voice Australia, a national think tank and advocacy group for families, liberty and faith. Greg Bondar, a special welcome back to 2020. Oh, good morning, Neil. Greg, sometimes we think religion and politics, how do they mix? Some are convinced they shouldn't mix at all. Others are on this trajectory of getting things right. And now we've got an example of someone who is solidly a Christian and in a very high-profile role, uh, talking about the United States Speaker of the House, Mike Johnson. Uh, You've been looking into the way he juggles politics and faith. Yeah, that's correct, Neil. Um, What brought this to my attention was a a recent article in the New York Times, which is a very left-wing, woke-type newspaper that supports, you know, same-sex marriage, abortion, and the whole lot, and they and they wrote a fairly scathing report about about uh, the Speaker of the House Johnson, and uh, and I just feel that uh, it's interesting that once you get a Christian into politics, that they they are open uh, open for attack, and um, and and recently I was at a church where I was speaking, and and the same view was being held that you know uh, church and politics don't mix, but. Now, I just want to make the point that uh, while many pastors and ministers promote the separation of church and state, Neil, they seem to forget that our founding fathers in our constitution sought to protect the church from an encroaching state against, uh, you know, uh, against uh, um, an encroaching state rather than the other way around. And I think we need to bear that in mind that that was the purpose of the Constitution, the Australian Constitution, so that I don't see a difference between church and politics. I think they're very intertwined. Yes, it's one of those things I think it's been a confusing thing for some people when they think that the separation of church and state is about protecting the state from the church. Actually, it is the opposite way around, uh, the protection of the church from the encroachment of the state. And, of course, we're seeing that substantially happening in so many different dimensions. Hey, let's come back to this guy, Mike Johnson. Yeah. How, do you, how do you think he's doing it well? Look, I think he, we have a, a, a Christian, a self-confessed Christian, is a Southern Baptist, uh, and, and what he's doing is he's allowing, uh, and, and it's obvious that he's allowing his politics to be shaped by his faith, and I think that's rightly so. I mean, you've got to make sure that, you know, you're not, uh, you're not preaching whilst you're, you're, you're in, a, in, a, in a position of uh, uh, a political power. But what he's doing is he's not shying away from the fact that he is a Christian, he's a Southern Baptist, and he's making sure that his politics is reflected through his faith. And I think that's very important, whereas a lot of our politicians tend to sort of shy away from doing that now. And examples with him, uh, where can we settle on something here? And it's interesting that his colleagues uh, in the Republican Party uh, all must have been weighing up what's good and what's not about him, and they decided this guy is the man for the job to be Speaker of Mm -hmm. the House. Uh, What sort of policies does he stand out for? 
that uh, Look, that he's that he's that he's settled on uh, holding tight to. Yeah, Neil, look, let's make it perfectly clear that, as I said, he's a Christian, Southern Baptist. Uh, he held the role of president some time ago as well. The point is that he, he is a pro-life. Uh, he's against abortion. He's against same-sex marriage because he's trying to stand uh, on the principle of a biblical worldview, and which means really, Neil, that, you know, he has to uh, make sure that his biblical faith is reflected in how he manages his role as Speaker of the House. And I think that to be commended because a lot of our politicians, you know, um, tend to say that, oh, you can't do that. Well, I'm afraid if you're a Christian, you know, I don't want to get to the stage where I'm I'm, 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 I'm in heaven and I'm, and I'm told, Greg, why didn't you confess your faith at the time, blah, blah, blah. So I think it's important that we t- take note of that. And there's contrast, isn't there, to the American Republican Party right now, who we'd say are the Conservatives, and our Conservatives here in Australia. Because right now, I mean, I can think of a few pro-life politicians, but really they're hard to find, and really there's not more than a handful. But really, in some sense here, Greg, there needs to be a whole party policy that's pro-life. That's just not the case I can't think of anywhere in Australia. Can you? No, look, I can't, Neil. And, 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 and again, I make the point that, you know, that, uh, that Christian principles need to be upheld. And one of the things that people do is they tend to compromise, Neil, as politicians. You know, they might be Christians, uh, you know, on a Sunday, but when it comes to their political role at the New South Wales Parliament or Queensland Parliament or, or Federal Parliament, you know, Neil, they tend to shy away from reflecting their faith. And I think that's a shame because, you know, they would do so much better to say, I am a Christian and here's what I stand for. So, you know, I, I urge all politicians to not shy away from it and, and live by their biblical worldview. Uh, I guess we might even be suspicious that until there is a some form of majority that will stand for some biblical values, we're going to continue a trajectory in the wrong direction and things are going to be unwound and unraveled and uh, and serious things are ahead any predictions from you about what 2024 might hold are we in for a whole lot of difficult times with the status of our politicians look i'm afraid so neil i think that uh, secularism and secular aggression is going to grow uh, religious faith will be under attack uh, it's going to be an ongoing cultural war i think some of the good things i guess is that your premier has resigned and and now I'm coming to Queensland now that she's gone. I'll, I'll be coming to holidays there because, you see, Neil, I've just been through a whole history of the legislation she has put through. And I'll tell you what, it's a blastedly bad legacy that she's leaving behind uh, for, for the Christian uh, person. So, um, you know, uh, let's make sure that, uh, you know, we, we continue to uh, fight the good fight and we continue to, uh, you know, defend our faith in the public square. Well, there's certainly not a lot of accolades from the Christian view of an Anastasia Palaszczuk and uh, Christians uh, that I've spoken to are happy to see her gone. But there's still a little bit of an unknown quantity about who will take her place and there's some suggestion it might even be worse. Hey, let's talk marriage. Let's talk marriage. Um, Marriage decline. You've been looking at some statistics. What have you found? Now, this is really disturbing. I'm, I've been looking at my own family, but I came across some data that almost 90% of the world's population now live in countries with falling marriage rates. Now, 
that is really distressing and 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 I think we as Christians, you know, if if we tend to live by the flourishing uh, Christian view of, of of marriage, then we need to be aware that you know, in 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 the U.S. alone, Neil, marriage rates have decreased by sixty percent since nineteen seventy, and in Australia, even more so, uh, the number of marriages registered in 2019 were about 113,000 and was lower than in 1970 where it was 116,000. So, you know, we are really falling uh, behind in terms of ensuring that, you know, the, the, the biblical view of, of a family is a husband and a wife and it is through marriage that they, that they continue to flourish. And there's a real problem and something we should be all aware of uh, as, as we look at our grandchildren, our children, uh, and, and of course, society at large. And certainly worthy of pausing and reflecting on that because, as you say, the number of marriages registered in 2019, even lower than in 1970, and if you were doing some sums there on what that means by way of our population growth, in the last 50 years, our population has grown substantially. And uh, that is really disturbing that there are less registered marriages now than there was 50 years ago. Uh, That's something that actually ought to capture your attention. Oh, absolutely. And here's some other data that I came across. Did you know, Neil, that according to the Australian Bureau of Statistics, 30% of marriages in Australia end in divorce. Now, that's a real shame because, because I've now also looked at data that tells you that cohabitation before marriage, uh, back in, uh, I think, 1975, 60% of people uh, confessed to cohabitating before marriage. Neil, guess what it is in 2017? 81% of people cohabited before marriage. Now, that's a real shame because that sets the wrong tone for, for the family, for the children that there are, and I think we've got to make sure that Uh, We understand that marriage is biblical, it's a mum and dad, and it's the best thing for the child. And I, you know, these data really, really uh, reflect a a very, very poor societal view of of our marriage here in Australia. And is it showing us, Greg, that ordinary Australians, and by majority, don't even see marriage as being a positive for having a family? So it's a a better thing just to say, I'm a parent than it is to say that I'm a married parent. Now, I, I looked at some data again, and a lot of people were saying, well, marriage is an important uh, parenting is. In other words, they're saying that I'm a parent. Now, for example, a same-sex couple might say I'm a parent of a child. I don't know how they had the child apart from adoption or, or, or other means, but uh, the point I'm making there is that they are seeing parenting as being far more important than the family. Well, that's wrong, Neil. Parenting does not give you the same uh, development of the child as the family does in terms of a mother and a father. Now, I did uh, Masters of Education when I was at university, and I looked at the development of the child, and you know what, Neil? The father and mother still have the greatest impact on the child from a family point of view, and I think that's being lost uh, with with this parenting uh, preference over marriage and the family, Neil. So when we think of what it takes to be successful in a marriage and raising children in a family, it's still going to be the 
get married and have a commitment for a lifelong relationship so that you sow your lives into the welfare of those children uh, rather than do something outside of that and uh, perhaps on a whim. Just, uh, you know, it uh, took us by surprise that this happened and all of a sudden you're into family but without the commitment of a marriage. So those sorts of things, they, they go together. You know, what worries me, and I call it the left because, you know, the secular, anti-Christian, anti-biblical view is that, you know, parenting is okay, you can be a same-sex couple, but Neil, you can't have two fathers or you, or you can't have two mothers or wives. It just doesn't work. It's not natural. And it will reflect on the child's development in the years to come. You see, one of the problems we've got is that marriage has declined because what have you got now? Parenting rather than marriage. You've got same-sex marriage rather than natural marriage. Neil, it's a real issue, and I'm and I'm not surprised that the data is indicating that marriages continue to decline, and we've got to reverse that, both from a, a family point of view and also from our own church. We've got to start preaching the biblical view of marriage, Neil. Okay, another issue just to quickly pick up on here, Greg, uh, Christians and our role in the fight against anti-Semitism. One thing to be able to watch all of those protests and anti-Semitic demonstrations on television and we wonder about what we're supposed to be doing. What are your thoughts? Yeah, Neil, I'm really disturbed by this. I mean, my my brother actually married a Jewish girl, Neil. So my nieces both the, uh, are Jewish. As you know, anyone born to a Jewish mother is Jewish by birth. And uh, they live in what we call the eastern suburbs here in Sydney now and um, I've heard some horrific stories of persecution of, of you know abuse of bullying uh, of all sorts of uh, Jewish people that are just walking along in the street now anti-semitism has to stop now we do not want to go back to the to, to, to World War II type situations so what I'm saying nearly here is that you know what is the role of the Christian I think there's a real responsibility for Christians to fight anti-Semitism, and I'm talking from a biblical perspective, Neil, because, you know, we need to awaken the sleeping giant of Christianity with biblical messages of support for Israel now. It's one thing, isn't it, uh, to be a Christian and uh, to be silent, uh, but then to uh, to decide that I'm going to speak up because clearly our governments are not acting the way we'd like them to. They're not shutting down the demonstrations Police are standing by and watching these things happen on our streets. So somehow or other, we've got to be able to reevaluate where we all stand in that mix. I've been talking to a very close colleague of mine, the president of the Australian Jewish Association, and and, and the horrific stories that I hear and read uh, that they tell me. And and then, you know, and I started to think, what is the role of the Christian? Well, quite frankly, the Bible tells us now that we need to pray for the peace of Jerusalem, Psalm 112, verse 6. So let's look at it from a biblical perspective. But not only that, you and I both know, Neil, that Israel has a special meaning for God. And I think we as Christians, so we need to be aware of that. And, and, and on top of that, if you look at the history of Western civilization, the Judeo-Christian heritage is the foundation. And they, and they are both being persecuted for different reasons. So, Neil, as a Christian, we need to get out there. We need to make sure that we defend uh, 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 Israel and, and more importantly, stand up against anti-Semitism because we are Christians and we need to ensure that, uh, you know, we do our bit from a biblical perspective. 
Well, the Jewish people don't have many friends around the world, and there might be all sorts of reasons for that. Uh, Some of that is a religious reason, and Mm. Christians are their friends, and we need to be ready to stand up wherever we can to defend uh, the nation of Israel and their right to existence. Greg Bondar is National Director of Christian Voice Australia, a national think tank and advocacy group for families, liberty and faith. To connect with Greg, you can go to the website christianvoiceaustralia.blog. christianvoiceaustralia.blog. Greg, always appreciate your insights. Thanks so much for those today on 2020. Oh, thank you, Neil, and blessings to all the people who have tuned into our discussions over the years. So blessings to you and to your listeners. Thanks for taking time to listen to this audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. To find out more about us, go to vision.org.au. 